Today's episode of the Doctor's Companion is brought to you by InStockTrades.com and DCBService.com. Welcome to another episode of The Doctor's Companion. I'm Scott Corelli. And I'm Matt Smith, but not that Matt Smith. And today we're going to be talking about the John Pertwee story, The Time Warrior, from everybody's favorite Doctor Who writer, Robert Holmes. Uh, yeah, lots of lots of firsts. Lots of firsts in this episode. <laughs> lots of firsts. Definitely. Um... So, yeah, we're going to be talking about that and about what those firsts are in just a sec. But before we do, I want to remind everybody, we're from the website GeekShowEntertainment.com, where you like geeky stuff. Occasionally, we talk about it on a podcast like this one. Geek Show Entertainment is a podcast network that has uh, new episodes released for shows that include uh, The Doctor's Companion as well as uh, two, two, three, three more episodes of Movie Night Geek Show. Uh, have you met Ted and super geeks? Um, you can listen to those podcasts by streaming them on the website or subscribing to them on iTunes. Also go to the website, join our community by commenting on episodes, articles, and audio blogs that we regularly post on the site. And if you've listened to any of our shows and you like what you hear, help us out by leaving an iTunes review because that's the way people find our shows and decide if they might be worth listening to. You can also let us know how we're doing with comments, concerns, or suggestions by emailing the show at tdc at geekshow.us. That's tdc as in the doctor's companion. Matt, background and significance, there's a lot of it. <laughs> there is a lot of it. Um, so less, the time less, le- less background, but a lot of significance. <laughs> yeah, less background. Well, the background's really quick. Um, oh, no, I'll get to the background in a second. Significance. Um, <laughs> it's the first story... To ever feature a Centaurian, so it's the introduction of the Centaurians, and it's, it's the first. Also, ser- it's also the best. It's also the hands down the best. Yeah, it's amazing. Yep. Um, uh, it's the first Sarah Jane story, which is really cool. Um, it's also the last story for Robert Holmes to write before he takes over the show. Um, he would go on to be a shadow script editor for the rest of this season. Like he would shadow Terrence Dix to kind of get the feel for the job. Um. It's the first story of the last season of John Pertwee, so it's kind of like not really a. It's a weird, um, uh, not. It's like not quite unit family. Like one of the things about Pertwee is that uh, Pertwee didn't. Pertwee left uh, after Roger Delgado died and Joe left, so it's it's weird to see him hanging out with Sarah Jane. But there it is, um, and it's also. Uh, a return to the past, um, which I guess is its its background. Uh, Terrence Dix really wanted to do a story set in the past, and they wanted Robert Holmes to do it. Robert Holmes, of course, who had previously written Spearhead from Space, Terror of the Autons, and um, 
uh, Carnival of Monsters for this era. Robert Holmes very famously did not like historicals. He thought they were boring and he didn't really like them in terms of Doctor Who. He was much more interested in the science fiction aspects of Doctor Who. So they said, can you do a story set in the Middle Ages? And he's like, I don't know. They're like, throw in aliens. He's like, okay. And, (laughs) you know, kind of brought back the historical. Um, And the last historical was, you know, this is season 11. The last historical was back uh, with the introduction of Jamie back in season four. So um, this really brings it back in in a big bad way. And it also sets a real precedent for what Holmes would do moving forward in his uh, in his own run, where he would do the pseudo-historicals, which were historicals with a science fiction alien or bent, which he would do in Pyramids of Mars, Mask of Mandragora, Horror of Fang Rock, and um, Talons of Wang Chiang. So, like, you know, it, he sets up this really nice sort of dynamic. And, you know, to me, this is really probably my quintessential pseudo-historical. Um... Because it was introduced in the Time Meddler, but I have issues with that story. We talked about them on the podcast, but um, this, man, this is where it's at. Let's be honest. Oh, it's... yeah. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. Um, this, is also, to... this is also, before you wrap up background significance, because you didn't mention it, this is also the first time that Gallifrey is ever mentioned. That, too. That, too. So, Robert Holmes once again creates more time lord mythology than any other person by mentioning gallifrey for the first time in a in a throwaway reference a reference that i can never seem to hear in this story because it's so cast off quickly Mm -hmm. um awesome just all around win you're not going to hear me say anything bad about this story because it is i'm going to be honest it's everything you could ever want out of a doctor who story Um, this this episode for me is because okay, for Pertwee, there Pertwee tends to have two different, two distinctively different types of stories from his era. Mm-hmm. This is the quintessential episode of this kind of Pertwee story. Yeah. Um, the you know the other one that would go into this would be like the uh, uh, the Curse of Peladin is yeah. in this yeah. is in this frame, and then the other frame is is you know. The unit stuff, yeah. Um, it's so decidedly th- not unit, which right? Is lovely, right? right. Uh, so, like for me, this is going to now forever be the quintessential non-unit Pertwee story. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the quintessential unit story is, but <laughs> pick one. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, it's is it Spearhead? Is it Ambassadors of Death? Is it Silurians? Is it Inf- well, not Inferno, I guess. Is it the Demons? Is it Terror of the Autons? Is it the Green Death? Is it Invasion of the Dinosaurs? Is it Robot? There's a lot of quintessential unit stories. That's <laughs> true. From that's true. Um, but yeah, this this episode is like so so good. It is. Oh my god. It's I it's one it. of those re- great stories that just translates well because it just works on every level. Yep. Um and you know, if you haven't seen this one, you if you've never seen Classic Who, you could probably go out and just watch it and be just fine because it's it's a romp. And it's also it's also nice because I mean, I love this story, but in no way would I even put it as like my favorite Pertwee story of all time. Um which tells you how good Pertwee's era can be. Uh, that being said, Robert Holmes writes a hell of a third doctor. <laughs> he really does. And it's noticeably different than, 
you know, the third doctor that you tend to see other times. Like John Pertwee in this story is having the time of his life. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. Uh, that, 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 that I, 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 I don't want to use the term crane shot because I, you and I both know it wasn't on a crane, but you <laughs> know what shot you... I'm talking about. Yeah. No, that my was favorite sh- that 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 is in my top three John Pertwee moments of all time. Is that oh, yeah. ridiculous fight sequence? It's my favorite. It's my favorite thing. When I saw that the first time, I was like, "Wow!" They literally just put the camera on a parapet and just said, "Hey, John, run around for two minutes <laughs> and land in this pile of hay when you're done." That's just, it. He just throws stuff, trying to distract people, <laughs> and he plays tetherball at one point. Like, yeah. The- <laughs> if you if you watch it, and I watched this thing three times because it was fascinating. <laughs> If you watch it, no one else is really doing anything. They're just yeah. watching John Pertwee <laughs> run around like a maniac in a courtyard for like two minutes. Uh, it's literally like two minutes. It's it really incredible. is. Oh my I, god. I wish I could YouTube it, but I did and they took it down. So, everyone, I'm sorry, but you missed out on my favorite thing in the entire world. Ugh. It's one of my favorite shots in Doctor Who of all time, period. Oh, line. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It's so good. And there's a, bu- there's a bunch of just phenomenal Pertwee moments in this episode. Yeah. Not just uh, not just Pertwee, though. Like, I mean, not to diminish Pertwee, like, the stink bombs aside, which were great. Um, the, the stink bomb. Not, not just, like, the stink bombs, but everything. Like, great Sarah Jane. Oh, yeah. G- great... Like they could is this great... is is this the only Robert Holmes created companion? No, he technically created Liz Shaw as well. Oh, because he he wrote Spearhead from Space, uh... and he and he wrote um he wrote Terror of the Autons, which saw the creation of Joe and Mikey Yates. Oh, weird. Okay, yeah, cool. So so he did that. He's also the one to like the first one to really use Perry and Caves. And he also did, um, uh, he was around to see Leela invented, and he's also the first person to ever write Romana 1. So, hmm. <laughs> the guy left a stamp. Yeah, he did, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But, like, great Centaurin, Lynx is a phenomenal bad guy, and a phenomenal Holmesian bad guy, Iron Gron is possibly my favorite thing ever. Um, <laughs> like, I, I mean, I texted you this when I was watching it this morning, but I was literally like, so I want for the podcast to quote all the great Iron Gron lines, but I literally could not keep up because everything that comes out of his mouth is gold. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, just amazing. Um, it's just, it is just a brilliant amazing story and it's like it's not necessarily forgotten but it's just atypical for Pertwee so I think that people talk about the demons more or the master stories but this man this just shows you how much range he kind of had it as a doctor not when he wasn't confined to like unit tales which I love um mm-hmm. so this just episode's, awesome. This episode's genius. So <laughs> let's uh, let's let's start talking about it in just a second. Before we do, I want to remind everybody that we're sponsored by InStockTrades.com. 
where this month you can purchase our Book of the Month, Why the Last Man Deluxe Edition Hardcover Volume 5, uh, which ends the series written by Brian K. Vaughn and drawn by Pia Guerra. And you can get it for seventeen thirty nine, which is 42% off the suggested retail price of twenty nine ninety nine, dollars at com. And remember, all orders over $50 get free shipping. So uh, thanks to InStockTrades.com. Also, you should know, unlike other companies where you can order comics from, uh, when you order your books... Literally, as long, as long as it's during business hours, Monday through Saturday, uh, if your order comes through, it's out the door probably within the hour you put it in. Wow. So that's how that's how it works over there. What service? I've seen it happen. I've seen <laughs> it happen. I've experienced it. All right, so InStockTrades.com. Go there, order comic books, graphic novels, all that stuff. All right, so going into part one of The Time Warrior, uh, the thing I love about episode one is that you have no idea what these two things have to do with each other. None. (laughs) None whatsoever. You're literally watching Doctor Who and some other thing. About... Barbarians finding a man from space, a man yeah. from the stars. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> literally, you have no idea what these things have to do with each other until the very end of this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we're in the Middle Ages. We meet Iron Gron, who <laughs> I'm, I just... I'm pretty much convinced is Ken Marino in a beard. Who's traveled back in time to be in Doctor Who. I'm fairly certain that's a thing that happened. If we ever meet that guy, we should ask about it. Ask him about I, it. I will. I will try. Is this Don't you in a beard? I think it's you in a beard. <laughs> he has the, He has like those full rich cheeks that Ken Marino has. Um, just, just so good. So good. <laughs> So, Sorry, I can't think about Iron Gron without thinking about all of the great things he says. He says amazing things. He really does. Also, he has a personal assistant named Blood Axe. <laughs> Who's like his blonde go-getter. Like, yep. oh, so good. And classic. It's, he's a gopher. He's a gopher. <laughs> he really is. He's like, he just wears red. I, I guess yeah. that's his one thing. He's, I weird. mean, we literally, we literally start this episode with Iron Gron getting annoyed because what he's eating and drinking is not what he ordered. <laughs> that is not what he sent Blood Axe off to get, and he demands <laughs> that he's going to go back to the star, go back to Starbucks and get his order right. Yeah. And if it is right, if his order is right, it tastes bad, so he needs to do it again. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the first the first line that Iron Gron says is, the sheep has been dead a year, are they trying to poison me? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's partially, I can't do it justice, but you gotta hear it in his voice, guys. You gotta hear it in his voice. Uh, um, so funny. So, 
Anyway, uh, this there there's there's a crash, and Iron Cron is like, "Let's go get him!" And everyone's like, "Well, let's not. How about we wait until tomorrow?" And you know, Are you all chicken? <laughs> and they're like, "No, we just we really just don't want to go out right now." And he's like, "Well, in the morning then." And then he sits back down. <laughs> and then it's the next morning, and they go to to see what what that crash was, and they find a crashed spaceship. That once they arrive, opens up and and this little spaceman comes out, um, <laughs> like the helmet and all that, and uh, and and you know silver jumpsuit, like basically like what a what you know, basically what the what the farm people thought Marty was in Back to the Future. <laughs> that's what that's what comes out of this crash spaceship. <laughs> so so he comes out. And first of all, what the hell was he doing all night? <laughs> That's my first question. <laughs> Second of all, he walks out after being inside the ship all night and walks out and this single Centauran named Lynx claims Earth for the Centauran Empire. <laughs> He's one dude. He's just like, yeah, this is Centaur this is Centauran space now. So, you guys get used to that. <laughs> Which I, love I, it whenever, I love it whenever aliens do that. They just declare that Earth is now their property. Yeah. Uh, and then and then they're and then you know they start talking and uh, Iron Gron and 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 Lynx and they realize that uh, well well Iron Gron realizes that Lynx needs his help to r- fix his ship. And in return, Lynx can give them, quote-unquote, magic weapons uh, <laughs> that will make him a king uh, in return for, like, the shelter and any help that he can give him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here's the problem. Obviously, the Middle Ages aren't going to have parts to... I mean, you know, I mean, he could order the parts, but he's going to be waiting a really long time. Uh, <laughs> like a really long time. He doesn't have Amazon Prime. It's, uh, yeah, he's got to wait. He's got to right. wait. No, yeah. No time. No time for that. No. So, so, uh, you know, so he, you, at this point, we don't really know what his plan is, but apparently Lynx has some sort of plan uh, mm-hmm. to uh, get around this whole not having technology in this era where he crashed. Um, so then we go and we finally get to the doctor and, uh, and, and, and brigadier and they're investigating the disappearance of a bunch of scientists, um, from this like secret scientific research complex. Um, and while this is going on, there's this person, um, what 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 does she say her first name is originally? I don't remember. I, Liv, Livy, uh, Lavinia, Lavinia. Yeah, Lavinia Smith. Um, who of course ends up being Sarah Jane Smith, and the doctor's onto her right away. Um, he's pretty cocky about it, uh, as <laughs> as John Pertwee is from time to time. John Pertwee's very smug. Yeah, he's yeah. he's a, he's a very smug. The third doctor's very smug. He's he's pretty in control. He likes he's pretty in control usually. Is he? I mean, I'm pretty sure he's the only uh, doctor 
before the new series that went topless, right? Um, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, he's smug. Right. He's a yeah. smug guy. <laughs> he's a smug guy. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, they're, they're, he, they're talking to, they're, there's a scientist named Rubish. Um, <laughs> I forgot about Rubish. Who at Rubish. <laughs> Rubish is like, <laughs> let's just put it this way. Rubish was a big fan of Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> big fan. <laughs> big fan. Yeah. He yeah. he got that movie poster framed. <laughs> um he's one of the scientists and yeah, he's he I mean he's he's as nerdy as nerdy can get. Um and he can't see a thing without his glasses. No, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but he that doesn't stop him from trying. Although to be fair, he he can he can barely see with them. Um, yeah, <laughs> there's times where he just doesn't see things that are like right in front of his face. Um, so anyway, the science basically make a long story short. Scientists are disappearing. They don't know why. The doctor makes this machine thing that is like <laughs> measuring for which is measuring for what kind of waves. I don't remember. It's like, like Raytheon waves or something. Yeah, something, some BS thing. <laughs> um. So anyway, uh, anyway, he has this thing, and he's just like he's explaining to Sarah Jane Smith, and Sarah Jane is like, "Oh, so like, what is this doing?" He's explaining it all to her, and like not dumbing it down. And he starts to dumb it down, and then she gets mad at him because you know, <laughs> feminism, raw. Um, it's <laughs> he this, does make some sexist comments in this. It's kind of delightful. Yeah. Well, it is the seventies. <laughs> it is. Um. So, uh, anyway, so and then he's just like he's like he's like yeah. And uh, when it it detects any of these rays, uh, it'll wake me up. She's like, wait, you're just going to sleep? He's like, yeah, if you'll let me. Bye. <laughs> sitting in a chair like not even a like a like a fancy chair like just a wooden chair in front of like a card table he puts his legs up on the card table and just knocks out like, yeah just he's gone yeah he's gone yeah <laughs> uh which is just it's ridiculous <laughs> um and then you know the alarm goes off on the on the ray thing and then he, he's just like oh my god it's detecting these things and then he calls for uh rubish uh, Rubish answers, but then doesn't come out of his room. So then he opens the door, and then he's gone. He's disappeared. Apparently, um, Sarah Jane comes out, and she's like, "What's going on?" And he's like, "Nothing. Don't worry about it. None of your business." Um, <laughs> and then he goes and tells uh, the brigadier what's going on, and he's like, "I think I'm gonna I'm gonna trace these these waves back to where they originated from." Um, while he's talking to uh, the brigadier Sarah Jane goes inside of the TARDIS, sneaks inside of the TARDIS to see if Rubish went in there. Um, so she's in the TARDIS. Then the doctor gets in the TARDIS and chases the waves to the Middle Ages where we were with uh, Lynx and Iron Gron and his personal assistant Bloodaxe. And uh, we get... <laughs> we get... Which is... we're uh, uh, Like... A large mass of really funny things in a row at the end of this episode. <laughs> yes. um, 
like, wow. Uh, so, okay. So here, here's the... Here, all right. So the doctor gets out and starts, you know, he, he gets out to go investigate. A little while after, like like a few seconds after, Sarah Jane walks out to, to go investigate. And uh, <laughs> there's this archer... <laughs> and when I say Archer, I mean Robin Hood. Robin Hood is in this movie, is in this show. He's a, yeah. Robin Hood shows up, and he's going to assassinate Iron Gron. Well, Sarah Jane sees someone, and she's like, "Hey, you!" And just touches his arm, and he freaks out and just runs in the opposite direction. <laughs> but not this before is- shooting his arrow off and missing Iron Gron. <laughs> But it's the most amazing sequence of events. Like she, he literally has his bow pulled out back. He's about to hit it, and just the second before he fires the bow, she's like, "Hello!" And he fires the the arrow, and before he can see what's happening, he just bolts. Yeah, he just, just he, he just pops up and runs in the opposite direction. <laughs> like it's the most it's some of the funniest blocking I've ever seen on this. <laughs> Or, I mean, it could very well have just been lack of blocking, and that's why it was so awkward, but it was so funny. It was it was amazing. It was amazing, and then at that point, she gets captured and taken away. The doctor sees this, and his response is, oh, Sarah Jane, I wonder how she got here. How do you think? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I love that that's his response. Sarah Jane, I wonder how she got here. Well, considering you, I'm sure you're the only owner of a time machine in the Middle Ages. I'm pretty sure it was your fault. (laughs) And I love that his response is not like, it's not like, oh man, I need to go help her. Just like, best I get best go after her, I guess. Yeah. So he goes after her, and then uh, and then Lynx walks out, uh, looks at his watch, <laughs> and then decides, oh, it's helmet taking off time. <laughs> so he takes off his helmet, sticks out his tongue, and looks straight at the doctor. Only doesn't, and that's yeah. that's the end of that's the end of episode one. Great cliffhanger. It, it is, except when you get to episode two, and the end of the cliffhanger is him being like, well, helmet taking off time's over. He puts the helmet back on and walks off. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's it. Also, yeah. can I just say, uh, the makeup job on the Sitaran is great, except for the random tufts of hair. Oh, I love the random tufts of hair. Oh, I hate it. I, I mean, it's it's just it's not. See, because I'm used to centaurs now from the new series. Yeah, they're like completely hairless. Mm-hmm. Um, the random tufts of hair are weird. I don't know. Well, that, I think I think that's the best part of it, though. Like, I love the centaurian links in this case just functions as another Holmesian bad guy who's this gross, disfigured character who hides beneath a mask because he's 
physically deformed. And I love that it's, I don't know. I don't have a problem with it because it just, it works because you're not supposed to like looking at Centaurans. You're supposed to go, ew, that is a weird, gross looking dude. Yeah, I guess that's true. It just works. It just works. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so we go now, now Iron Gron meets Sarah and Sarah thinks that she goes through a few options. First, she's like, oh, so this is like, uh, like, what is this? Like some kind of museum? And she's like, no, no, it's a movie set. No, there's no lights. Uh, oh, so this is like one of those recreation vacation spot things, right? And then she's just like, like try, try, trying to talk these barbarians into like treating her like a normal person. Here's my problem with this. I know this is a family show. I know it's a family show. I know. But Sarah Jane would have been raped three times by now. Yeah. Yeah. At yeah. least. At yeah. least. <laughs> yeah. No, that's 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 about right. That's about right. <laughs> She would not be in the state that she is at this point, um, especially considering it seems as though these guys haven't seen like a a feminine female in years. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. we meet the females that they they have uh, <laughs> later, and uh, they're not exactly the most feminine. Females. No. No, they're, they're, they're wenchy. They're fairly wenchy. Yeah, fairly wenchy. That's probably a good thing. Uh, so anyway, uh, so this makes Iron Garan kind of grumpy, the way Sarah's talking to him. But then Link shows up and he's like, hey, I've got a robot with a remote control. <laughs> so he then proceeds to show off the worst robot. <laughs> like, he's just like, he's like, yeah, this is going to be great for a fight. Oh, I forgot to mention the fact that it can't bend its shoulders. Yeah, its literal move is just to, like, make a chopping motion up and down. Yeah. With a sword in its hand. Yeah. It's the it's the sword fighting, it's the broadsword fighting equivalent of rock, a Rock'em Sock'em robot. <laughs> Oh, this is the real, real steal. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I love, I love the robot. Like, as if this story can't get. Well, I mean, the best part about this story, is, like, it starts off cool and it just keeps getting cooler, which seems impossible. But like, by the time you hit the last like ten minutes of this, like, so much craziness is happening that it's just like, oh, this is awesome. Like, there's a ridiculous tall robot that just swings a sword wildly. Like, that's yeah. just, that's great. Yeah. That's so great. So, uh, so they captured Robin Hood, and they bring Robin Hood in, um, and they're going to cut off his head. But instead, uh, you know, Iron Gron, like like all men, wants to play with his new toy. So he sets off the robot to actually, like, go up against uh, Robin Hood. And uh, they, like, they they start fighting or whatever, and then, like, the robot almost kills Robin Hood, but then the doctor, 
um, shoots the robot control out of Ironcrawl's hands. He, like, sneaks onto a rampart. There's two other guards there. The doctor sneaks onto a rampart, picks up a crossbow, and just shoots the remote control. Those guards should not be on that job. Um, none of the guards that Ironcrawl has should be on the job. He really needs to get a new staff. I blame Bloodaxe. Because you know yeah. he's the one that hired them. Because you know, you and I both know Iron Grunt does not deal directly with human resources. No, no. But he's like he's like the house majority leader. And Bloodaxe is like the whip. No one cares. But if you've got a bad whip, you're in trouble. Yep. So, yep. there you go. It's true. There you go. It's true. So, uh, so anyway, everyone is like freaked out. And then, so, so Sarah and, uh, Robin Hood, they, they run off, um, heading for, uh, Wessex Castle, which is Iron Gron's nemesis. Nemesis. Stronghold. Yeah. Yeah. And by nemesis, we mean the weak Sir Edward, who's just like an Earl. Yeah. Yeah. Who doesn't know how to do anything. And I love the I love that the robot, like when the doctor shoots the remote control out of its hand, the robot just loses its mind and starts trying to hack off everything. <laughs> <laughs> and Iron Gron I, I wrote this line down because I couldn't resist. But um if you want an idea of how good of lines Iron Gron has, he cut, chops off the head of this robot. The robot goes to the ground and <laughs> keeps flailing its sword. And Irongron literally says, "By heaven's blood axe, tis like a tin tadpole. You cut off its head, and yet it wriggles." <laughs> Which, like, <laughs> that makes me laugh. Oh, Irongron, so good. How seriously, Robert Holmes writes the best subsidiary characters. He really does. <laughs> he really does. Oh just... man. Could you imagine, could you imagine, could you imagine a team-up with Iron Gron and, uh, what's his name from Trial of a Time Lord? (laughs) Sabalom Yeah, from Glitz. Iron Gron and Glitz, (laughs) that is a sitcom waiting to happen. Iron Gron and Glitz. Oh, I agree. I agree. I would watch the hell out of that. No, it's a... It's a, it's, it's, it's a, I don't know which one would be better, a cop show or a lawyer show. <laughs> a lawyer show? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I want to see Iron Gron in one of those suits. It's a law, it's a law firm. <laughs> Iron Gron and Glitz. <laughs> and Iron Gron and Glitz, they bicker back and forth about Glitz's sideburns and how they're not professional. <laughs> <laughs> Those ridges on your head, they are mighty fierce. <laughs> oh, I would watch that so hard. I would. I would. Uh, so, anyway, so Sarah, um, back at, at Wessex Castle, she uh, comes up with a plan to kidnap the doctor because she thinks that the doctor is working for Iron Gron. Um, instead of against him, and she thinks that everything is his fault, and all the disappearing scientists are his fault, and everything, the doctor's evil, basically, is what Sarah thinks. Um, Mm -hmm. Which I think is interesting for uh, an introduction of a companion. 
definitely. Yeah. It's it, but it all and it and it. I love that it makes sense. Like you absolutely see what where she's coming from with it. Like it's not completely contrived at all. Right. It makes a lot of sense. Totally. In a lot of ways. And and I think something else we haven't mentioned yet, but I'm I'm going to go ahead and mention is that uh, this story very reminiscent to Sarah Jane's introduction in school uh school reunion. Sure. Yeah. 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 I see that. Yeah. I, I like that. that. I like that a lot. I mm-hmm. like that. Um so uh <laughs> the doctor <laughs> <laughs> The doctor finds Lynx's lab, um, which he finds by crawling through an aqueduct, <laughs> uh, but isn't wet because apparently uh, Iron Gron is lacking water <clears throat> in that area. Um, maybe that's maybe that's his problem. Maybe he's just dehydrated. <laughs> it's making him just absolutely batty. Yeah, that's what it's doing. Yeah. So he, he he jumps down after uh, Lynx leaves, and um, he finds, like, all the kidnapped scientists, like, walking around Lynx's lab. Lynx's lab is crazy intensely, oh, like, like over-techified. Like, there's all kinds of crazy 1970s technology all over this room. Um, reels. Yeah. Everything. Yeah, yeah. You know, the whole, the whole thing. Uh... Especially electrical power, somehow. <laughs> I don't know what Lynx is plugging his lab into, but he's plugging it into something that's generating power. <laughs> they never really go into that. No, no, they don't have time for that. That's, that's, I just, I, I just picture that somewhere like off camera. On the side of this lab, there's just like a running wheel where the scientists take turns <laughs> running in the wheel. And that's why they're so tired all the time. Yeah. <laughs> to generate power. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's what I imagine is happening somewhere. So So anyway, um He finds all the scientists, they've all been hypnotized, like into like just mindless zombies, except for Rubish, um, <laughs> who can't be hypnotized because he forgot his glasses and can't see anything. Yeah, <laughs> which is beautiful. <laughs> what a beautiful loophole, Robert Holmes! You are a genius. <laughs> like seriously, seriously, that is beautiful. That's incredible. It's it's insane. Uh, that's, that's why Robert Holmes is good, my friend. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, we need we need a scientist that can't be hypnotized. Well, why wouldn't he be hypnotized? He forgot his glasses. <laughs> he caught him while he was sleeping. <laughs> and he left his glasses on the bedside table. <laughs> um, and I love that the doctor's like, Rubish, you've gone back in time. And Rubish is like, I know, I've been running my hands along the carvings of these columns. They're really well preserved. And because of those carvings, I know this is an English castle from medieval times. <laughs> he has a history hobby with, with a focus in anthropology and architecture. 
<laughs> and it's all textual based, apparently. <laughs> apparently, his textbooks at the university uh, like had like samples that he could touch. <laughs> I think the book was just made entirely of woodcuts. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, <laughs> talk to you. The doctor's caught by Lynx, and uh, Lynx shows up, catches him, restrains him into this head device thing that uh, when, when like makes the doctor go to work on this like computer of switches, and it looks like a mixing board. Um, yeah. And he's at this mixing board, uh, you know, flipping random things or whatever. And when he tries to get up, this thing shocks him. When he tries to go down, this thing. Sh- goes down too far, this thing shocks him. When he even thinks about leaving, this thing shocks him. Um, but the switch that turns it on is like, it's like right behind him, just out of reach. So then as soon as, uh, as soon as uh, uh, Lynx leaves, uh, he describes it to Rubish, who, you know, because he can't see, proceeds to flip the incorrect switch and uh, electrifies... <laughs> Or scrambles the doctor's brain. I don't know what this thing is doing to him. Um, mm-hmm. But then he turns it off, and then and so then the doctor leaves to go find Sarah. Uh, but then he's, like, chased by Iron Gron and, and his men. And and then the doctor, like, they're, he's, like, running around from them, and this is, this is it. This is the scene. This is literally here's how they directed this scene. Alan Bromley, the director, put a camera on a stick up above, said, John Pert, we run around for 45 no, I think, seconds. I think what they did was it was just like because it's the castle. So I think they were just like up on the top okay, part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. The, yeah, exactly. And then pointed it down. And OK, great. We could see the whole courtyard. Go for it, John. <laughs> and Pert, we proceeds to just run around like a maniac for two minutes. All, they must have done it all in one take. Like, Yeah, and there's and no only- cuts. There's no cuts. It looks like, it looks like CCTV footage. <laughs> I mean, literally, that's what this looks like. <laughs> it looks like Iron Gron has security cameras. And it's just that one angle. Yeah. Yeah, and I just kept waiting for for it to just rewind, and then Iron Gron just be like, we just like pull back from a closed cash and TV, and Iron Gron is just like, this is where we went wrong. Uh, no, seriously, it's, it's, it's glorious. It's so, it's so good. I wish it still existed on YouTube, but oh my god. Like, the first time I saw that, I was like, oh, that's genius. And then you come back part three... And we get it again. And it is just as good. Yeah. Well, it's a little shorter. But, mm-hmm. yeah, they cut a little bit of it out. But, oh, my God. So good. So good. So, anyway, basically, it ends with him stumbling and then Iron Ground raises his axe. Iron Ground does a lot of axe raising in this, but he never yeah. actually follows through. <laughs> Unless yeah. it's a robot. Unless it's a robot. <laughs> He's all talk, no follow through. Yeah. Let's be real. He, keeps, Let's be he always real. changes his mind. Yeah. Um. Or or somebody interrupts him or whatever. Uh, in this case, uh, Robin Hood shoots the axe out of Iron Gron's hand. Very reminiscent to 
how uh, how uh, the doctor saved him from the right. remote control. Um, <laughs> and this this allows the doctor to escape. And then, uh, but they they like he escapes, but then Sarah and and uh, Robin Hood and and their people like kidnap him and take him over to the castle. And then they're like, "Ah, you're evil." He's like, "No, I'm not." And they're like, "Oh, well, I guess we had you all wrong." So, <laughs> so, uh, and then he, he was actually trying to stop links, and he and he agrees to help. Um, come up with some sort of defense plan uh, against the attack that Iron Gron is planning on Wessex Castle. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, God, I love this episode. I'm serious. This is so good. It's so good. It is. Uh, it is. <laughs> okay, so can we just... The attack on the castle. It's so good. Um, it's like, you know what it's like? It's literally like watching a great version of the attack in Holy Grail. Like that's, that's really what this attack is like. It's awesome. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it's just like 30 people charging a castle with two ladders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, except they have rifles because Lynx built them guns. Which um, I love. Yeah. I love seeing rifles in the Middle Ages. It's yeah, great. it's pretty phenomenal. Um, so the Doctor's plan uh, to – the plan for defense is to make a bunch of dummies. <laughs> and stick them between the slots on the on the wall. So yeah. It looks like there's a lot of people. <laughs> I guess he was hoping to just scare them off. I don't know. Which no, it's it's fair because that actually worked. Iron Gron literally would have run away, literally. <laughs> but Lynx is like, no, no, you gotta fight this because if you go in and you lose, or if you win and there are big odds against you, you get big big props in terms of honor. So then they then they fight anyways. But like Iron Gron literally is like this close to just saying, well, screw this and just leaving. <laughs> So then the doctor, uh, so they, so they move forward and the doctor unleashes smoke bombs, um, which that, that scares them away. They're just like, okay, whoa, smoke's involved. We're done. Let's go. (laughs) It's smelly. It's really smelly. Yeah. Let's get out of here. This is messed up. (laughs) This is like psychological warfare. Let's get out of here. Um, so, so this failure, um, tends to kind of put a bit of a uh, uh, a, a bit of a nick in the relationship of Lynx and Iron Cron. Um, he continues to deteriorate uh, ever since the Robot Knight fiasco. Um, <laughs> and, and and so now um, he like the is this is this the point where he saw yeah, he see he sees his like what he actually looks like, and he's just like, "Whoa, dude, you ugly." <laughs> yes. yes, and, he's, and then right. and then he's just like, uh, "You're not so pretty either." He's like, "No, dude, seriously, wow." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's about here. Okay, I kept waiting for him to like call him a potato because seriously, <laughs> come on. 
Well, he calls him Toadface, which I think is almost better. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Um, so now the doctor is just like, well, defense worked. Now let's try offense. <laughs> um, and we're going to start off by Sarah and I sneaking in dressed as Jedi Knights. And what I'm going to do <laughs> is I'm going to offer up the droid. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> uh, so he goes, they sneak in, uh, and then he, the doctor offers to help Lynx um, in return for sending the scientists home. But Lynx is like, uh, how about no? And then he shoots the doctor, and that's the cliffhanger of three. Mm-hmm. Uh, we then get to four. Um, the doctor isn't harmed at all. Um, but- well, Sarah Sarah distracts Lynx for a second, and then the doctor starts talking and saying, hey, by the way, your one weakness is the probic vent on the back of your neck. And Lynx is like, I know. And then Rubish, with his little monocle that he makes, like he literally makes himself like a magnifying glass. He just bonks leaks on the probic vent and just knocks him out, and it's great. Uh, do so, do we have any idea why that happens to them? What do you mean? Like, what's the probic vent? It's it helps them with their breathing process. It's like hitting someone in the solar plexus. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Also, mad props to Robert Holmes, who literally creates an entire civilization in one episode. Yeah, I know, like, right? Through one, one example yeah. of the species. Like, wow. Everything you ever needed to know about the Centaurans ever is in this story. Yeah, it's kind and of it's amazing. And it's all just off the top of his head. It's, it's crazy. It's amazing. It is. So, uh, Rubish and the Doctors join forces and use the Osmic Projector and send... The uh, scientist back to the 20th century. Um, Sarah goes down to the kitchen where she tries to convince all of the all of the l- kitchen ladies that they should all rise up against the men. And they're like, uh, no, we're women, stupid. That's not what we do. <laughs> we cook. We 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 just, you know, do whatever it needs to be done for these guys, whatever they want us to do. That's what we do. And she's like, well, that's stupid. Feminism. Rah, rah, rah. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, but then, like, while she's down there, she, after after she gets off her soapbox, um, she drugs all the food uh, and then knocks out Iron Crown's men in the process by drugging all mm-hmm. the food that they eat. Um, Lynx now wakes up. Uh, he, like, he's... Who's he found by? Is he? F- I think he's found by Iron Gron. Okay, it is Iron Gron that he's found by. Okay, well he's tied up and he unties him and, um, and uh, and he's just like, you know what? Screw this. I'm going home. My ship's fixed. I'm done. I'm done with you, Iron Gron. I'm done with this crap. I'm done. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah. so basically he gets he gets ready to go. Um, but you're missing out. You forgot about the entire part where the doctor dresses up like the robot and dodges gunfire. Oh, God. Okay, I'm sorry. I forgot about that. <laughs> I was waiting for it, and I, I realized, oh, we're not getting to that. There's this part in the story where Lynx 
the doctor ties up, knocks out and ties up Lynx, and Iron Gron comes in and says, "I want to see you, Lynx. Show me, show me some good will." And the doctor's like, "I got nothing." It like puts on Lynx's helmet and starts imitating Lynx. Yeah. Oh my god, that was so funny. <laughs> it's awesome. And then like the, the doctor's like, "Okay, well, I got an idea." He gets in the suit of armor for the robot, like hollows out the robot, gets in the suit of armor, and then. <laughs> Starts talking like a robot, goes up to Iron Gron and says, I am a gift for you. And Iron Gron, who just wants to fight something, starts fighting the Doctor as a robot. So, yes, in this story, we also get the Doctor sword fighting. Yep. Which, I mean, awesome. Awesome. Like, again, as if this story could not get any cooler, there is a sword fight. Uh, and then... <laughs> oh, my God. Iron... This is, seriously, and the best ending to a sword fight ever. Like, yeah. ridiculous. Which is like the doctor, like literally takes out Iron Gron because the doctor is that good good of a swordsman. Then Iron Gron's like, "That's not fair." Gets Blood Axe to attack the doctor with him, so it's Iron Gron and Blood Axe versus the doctor. The doctor still wins, and then Iron Gron goes, "All right, let's throw some arrows into this thing, lop off an arm, and then we'll see who wins." And the doctor's like, "Hey, come on." <laughs> <laughs> And they're like, wait a minute, you're not really a robot, are you? And he's like, yes, I am. Take off your mask. No, I don't think I will, sir. <laughs> and so-, so they rip the mask off and they see it's the doctor. <laughs> suddenly their confidence gets back because then they, they're like, suddenly the doctor isn't so tough anymore once they know he's not a robot, uh, which is weird, I find. <laughs> um, and so they corner the doctor up on a up on a ledge thing, and, and then at the same time, Sarah Jane cuts a chandelier that has just conveniently been tied off on the <laughs> other end of the room. We get the doctor swinging over the crowd on a chandelier, yeah. as if the story couldn't get any cooler. After dodging in robot and- armor, in robot in ro- armor, <laughs> don't robot forget. Armor. <laughs> After dodging copious amounts of gunfire, where where. Iron Gron's, like, gives his men rifles and tells them to just shoot at the Doctor. And the Doctor just dodges by, like, literally just running from side to side, which is incredible. Ugh. And then they run away. This story, man. Yeah. This story is where it's at. Oh, yeah. It's where it's at. So, uh... So, Lynx is like, I want to leave. Iron Gron's like, like hell you will. Goes back, starts eating. Everyone starts to get knocked out. But, um, Rubish is still... Starts sending people back based on the Doctor's... Um, like, you know, hints. And then we get a big showdown with Lynx. Um, Iron Gronk gets knocked out, but realizes he's getting knocked out, and that alone makes him not get locked out, knocked out. And, um, heads back down into the cellar and demands that Lynx not leave and help him fight all the bad guys. And Lynx is like, screw you. Lynx kills Iron Gronk, which is amazing. Gets into his, um, gets into his ship, is about to take off, and then... The archer comes out of nowhere, shoots Lynx <laughs> in the probic vent, right as the door's closing, kills the centaur, and they all run out into the forest. The castle explodes, and the doctor's like, well, we did a good job, gets in the TARDIS, and leaves with Sarah Jane. Amazing. And that's it. Amazing. And I love, I don't know, I love the way a good Robert Holmes climax feels like. There's something about the way that all of the storylines of Iron Gron and Lynx meet up at the end, and... You know, when Iron Gron comes into the big climactic fight, it just, I don't know, it just works. It's such a satisfying finale in so many ways. 
It's awesome. Yeah. And the Doctor hand-to-hand combat's links. Like, come on. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Also, uh, seriously, the, uh, the moment where he, like, walks out, like, I forget where in the story this happens, but he walks out, and these two guards, like, come walking up to him, and he's just like, no, no, seriously, guys, come check this out. Check this out. Look. Look at my hands. Look what I'm doing. And then he's just like, ha-da! <laughs> takes them both Knocks, out. And then runs away. Yeah. That's in this. That happens yeah. in this. Oh, yeah. God. It's, it's, it's a perfect Doctor Who story. It really is. It's, it's goddamn flawless. Oh, it's ridiculous. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it because it is like it. I'm, we're not even doing it justice. We're not even doing it justice. It's awesome. It's so awesome. So, so awesome. Ah, oh, love it. Is the doctor a long shanked rascal with a mighty nose? <laughs> oh, oh. With Iron Gron. fantastic. Fantastic. Guys, go watch the story, because seriously. I want to watch uh, it again right now. Yeah, you're not wrong. You are not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You are yeah. not wrong. At all. Ah, <laughs> oh, love it. Love it. I want. I seriously. When's our next Robert Holmes story? Uh, I'm not far. I don't think. I'll look it up while you do the spot. Okay. Well, speaking of spots, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> we're uh, we're sponsored by DCBService.com. Um, DCBS is the site where you can order all your monthly comic book statues, action figures, anything you can get from your local comic book shop. Uh, if you place your orders three months in advance, you can get monthly discount specials that are sometimes up to 75% off and regular discounts of 40% off. Uh, plus, if you can ship as often as you like within the month, uh, meaning uh, basically weekly, biweekly, or monthly um, with orders as large or small as you like and you only pay six twenty-five in flat rate shipping. Uh, so that's that. Also... Um, on January, let me look up the exact date. January fourth, uh, they're having a lot. They're having a in-store, uh, in-store signing f- with uh, Tim Seeley, who is apparently Ooh. taking over Witchblade. Because um, I guess Top Cow is doing this whole relaunch of all of their things. I wonder where they got that idea from. Huh. Uh, so they're relaunching their whole line with new people on every book and everything. And new number ones? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Weird, huh? Wow. Um, so top That's revolutionary. So top cow is doing this relaunch and they're doing simultaneous in-store signings with like a lot of the creators that are behind it. Um, Tim Seeley's taking over Witchblade, and he's doing an in-store signing with an exclusive variant cover for, DCBS. So if you live in the Midwest, Fort Wayne area, and you really like Tim Seeley, who is the creator of Hackslash, um, amongst other things, uh, then maybe you could come out and check it out. Or if you're in Fort Wayne, then you have no excuse. Um, and that's that's at the DCB Service home store. Uh, but you can do all of your ordering from DCBService.com. Yeah. So what's our next Robert Holmes story? Uh, well, I'll just tell you what's up in January because our next Robert Holmes story is the last story of January. Yes! Um, <laughs> it's a doozy, but you've seen it before. I'm sorry. Oh. Um, I know. If you if you want another Robert Holmes story, 
do Carnival of Monsters. Carnival of Monsters, pretty great. Um, uh, so for the month of January, next week we don't have off, um, because God knows, no rest for the wicked. Uh, next week we're going to be talking about the Christmas special. Uh, we're also probably going to address some of the recent comments that Moffat has said, because I know I have thoughts. Yeah, um, we're going to be talking about the little bit that we know about Series 7. Yeah, like a mini preview, no real spoilers beyond what they've announced. And really, honestly, if you've listened to the show and agree with anything that we've said, uh, you're not going to be surprised by anything that we hear, what we say. Um, or I mean, like, in terms of news, because we're not breaking news. Um, right. So, Christmas special next week, uh, and then we'll be back first of the year or so, that's when we're supposed to record it, talking about City of Death, uh, which is a great kickoff to next year. Um, Tom Ber- uh, Tom Baker uh, and Romana 2. 2 and written by Douglas Adams. Yes, yes, which I will be discussing heavily because Rob- Robert Shearman said something fascinating that I must discuss um, or must reiterate and blatantly plagiarize while <laughs> him. Um, well, he said he said this thing. It was on it was on the Radio Free Scarrow. Radio Free Scarrow went to Chicago TARDIS and did a bunch of great interviews with a bunch of people. And they talked with Robert Holmes about running through corridors. And he said the most fascinating thing about City of Death Row is like where it blew my face off. And I was like, oh, my God, he's right. Uh, so I must reiterate for the sake of our podcast in case you never haven't heard it. Um, so I guess the question is, was Douglas Adams really as much of a Doctor Who genius as everyone says it is? Big question. We will answer. Um, so City of Death is coming up. Uh, and then second week of January, we're going to be doing The Underwater Menace, which uh, unfortunately we don't have the second episode. It's not been released yet. So we'll be doing a reconstruction of that first reconstruction that we're doing. And a story that I have only come to love the more I think about it. So... We'll see how that goes. The underwater um, menace. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Look, didn't you I'll used to hate that you. episode? Yeah. No, it's horrible. The underwater menace is absolutely horrendous, but it is such a fracking good time to just have fun that I kind of love it. Um. All right. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, it's fun. It's it's just like if you just treat it like it's the worst B movie you've ever seen, it is genius. Um. <laughs> So we'll talk about that, and then we're going to do uh, David Tennant, The Girl in the Fireplace, so that'll be interesting. Um, yeah. It's weird. I can't believe we're doing that story already. Huh. It's strange. It feels like we've just gotten started, and we still just have. Um, why Why is th- it weird that we're doing that story? I don't know. I just feel like... I just feel... <laughs> it's just weird, because like, all of the stories that we have that are coming up mostly are all stories that I'm really looking forward to. Like, If you look at what we've been doing, like it's the Aztecs and Kinda, the Time Warrior, City of Death, Girl in the Fireplace. Like That's that's a great run. I probably should have spaced out the really good ones, but whatever. <laughs> um, it just feels like... I, I don't know. I like saving better stories for the end, but I guess there's so many good stories that I could afford it here. I don't know. Weird. Um... So we're going to be doing Girl in the Fireplace, and then we're going to do the first Doctor's Dalek Invasion of Earth, which is a very interesting, fun Dalek story uh, with a heartbreaking ending. And then our Robert Holmes story at the end of January is The Ark in Space, um, because, my God, I love The Ark in Space. So awesome! That's what's, that's what's to look forward to in January. If you want more Robert Holmes like The Time Warrior, I recommend Carnival of Monsters, because... It is insane and fun and also very good. And on Netflix Instant. And on Netflix Instant. You can't go wrong with the Netflix Instant. 
No. And it's one of the, like, the iconic Pertwee shot. Like, the one shot that I that is always used as, like, John Pertwee's action pose is in that story. Oh. And it involves the sonic... It involves the sonic screwdriver, and it's the sort of thing where you watch it, and the instant you see it, you're just like, that is a badass shot. <laughs> it's... Carnival of Monsters is a great story. If you haven't seen it, it's great. It's also biting and satire on the way that television is made and the way that people treat the creators of television. It's it's a good one. Mm, it's a really I need good to one. see that one. It's awesome. 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 And we're awesome. not talking about it. I think it's the last Pertwee story that we're discussing on this podcast. So go ahead. Celebrate. Celebrate. All right. Um, so yeah, things to look forward to. And Ark in Space, also on Netflix Instant. And City of Death, also on Netflix Instant. So watch them. Enjoy. <laughs> Celebrate. All right. All right. Well, um, that about wraps up this episode. Uh, Matt, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash gungadin. You can also find me at my alternate Twitter account, twitter.com slash commentary, where I live tweet things sometimes. Don't know if I'm doing it anytime soon, but stay tuned. Uh, also, Sunday Trek, I don't know, I haven't discussed this with you, but we're probably going to be taking a hiatus for the rest of the year, because, let's be honest, Christmas and New Year's, both on Sundays, so... Right, yeah. We'll see how that's, we'll, we'll see how that that's understandable. <laughs> so, no Sunday Trek till the end, till the next year, uh, but we'll come back swinging and fighting with some really good stuff, so stay tuned for that. Also, my blog, classicalgallifrey.blogspot.com, uh, where I blog classic stories. Last week I did, oh, goodness... Was it survival? I think I did survival. I don't know. I wrote that weeks ago. Um, and this week, uh, Fury from the Deep, which suffers from not existing. Uh, but we'll see how that goes. I haven't started writing writing it yet. It's due to, in twenty four hours, so we'll see how that goes. Um, <laughs> uh, also, some good stuff coming up for the end of the year uh, that is really awesome. So keep tuned on the blog for that, including my blog of Kinda, which is coming up around uh, at the turn of the year, which should be super excellent uh scott uh yeah twitter.com slash scott corelli twitter.com slash scott commentary for all the reasons you stated and more actually there is no more just all the things that you said i don't do anything in addition i don't know why i said that um <laughs> so uh so yeah there's that and then um what else is there i don't know Movie the Daddy. Mind Robbers. Yeah. The Mind Robbers. Right. The Mind Robbers. Uh, we've got that. That's our new podcast that's launching uh, next year on mindrobber.net. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, keep a lookout for that. We'll, we'll keep reminding you and bugging you on this show. But basically, it's Matt and I uh, talking about everything but Doctor Who. <laughs> that's the plan anyway. Just about. Yeah. Everything but Doctor Who. Uh, we're going to be starting that show with our uh, top ten movie lists. That'll be the first episode. The second episode will be top ten TV series of of the of the last year um, of 2011, and then uh, uh, same we'll go from there. Yeah, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, so it'll be our top ten uh, movies and TVs of two, 2011, and then uh, and then just after that. It'll just be kind of like whatever, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, that'll that that'll be a a weekly show, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So if you guys listen to this show and you like Matt and myself, then you should go listen to the Mind Robbers, which is going to be our new podcast. 
Um, not on GeekShowEntertainment.com. It's going to be a separate show uh, for reasons that we'll talk about on that show. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, be on the lookout for that. Also, the Movie Night at Geek Show. It's our last month. We are in the home stretch. Uh, last week we talked about Hot Fuzz. This week we're going to have two episodes to make up for the week that we missed um, due to My scheduling fault. conflicts. Uh, not completely your fault. You could have mostly, recorded mostly. at another time, and mostly, I was not available. So, so anyway, we're gonna do, we're gonna have uh, two episodes out this week. One for Road Racers, um, which was John's pick, and then one for The Godfather, which was Matt's pick. Uh, and then next week, we're going to wrap it all up with our final episode with The Breakfast Club. So uh, go check out Movie Night Geek Show. And, of course, Movie Night Geek Show was not a time-sensitive show, so all of those episodes will be up to, for you to browse and listen to at your leisure um, <laughs> whenever you might feel like it. Uh, so anyway, that's that, and that's this show, and we will talk to you next week with The Doctor, The Widow, and The Wardrobe. I'm going to get that title wrong so many times. Yes, you are. (laughs) Uh, All right. Bye, guys.